0: Well, if you want to turn your Bibles to chapter 6 in Ephesians, verse 5 through 9, that's what we'll be, that's what we'll be in today. Let me pray before we uh, start. God, we love you so much. We ask that you would show up this morning and encourage us, challenge us, open our eyes, um, help us tonight not write things off because they seem so simple, but may we see um, by the power of your Spirit things that are deeper inside this text, and may we walk out differently with a different perspective um, it's making everything about you, Jesus. We love you, and we ask this in your beautiful name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So if you see the first word, it says slaves. Don't freak out. This is the new version of the Bible, not the King James version. I had the ESV. That's what we're going to be reading today, the specially sanctified version. But we're not going uh, to be... Um, referring to this as slaves. Let me give you some context before we dive in on slavery so you don't freak out and go, why are we talking about slaves? This is a weird church. Um, slavery was kind of a big deal in this time that Jesus was around. A huge deal. There was estimated over six million slaves in one time in Rome in this period. It's a lot of people. Slaves were composed, or composed about one-third of Ephesus. Remember, Paul is writing this letter, Ephesians. It's just a letter to a church he started and planted. So he's writing a letter to uh, the people in Ephesus. And this city, one-third of the population were slaves. And slaves were literally considered parts of the family. So that's why he brings it up right after children and parents, because they were in the family. They would be in the family picture. So that's what he's talking about. This is in the context of the family. But Paul is not condoning slavery. See, it's kind of interesting to say, slaves, obey your earthly masters, the first sentence in that verse. You would think, wow, but well, why doesn't Paul just say, hey, this, this is bad. You should stop this. Slavery equals not good. Why is he, trying to combat the thinking, why does he fight against that and say you should break free and run away? It's not right. Um, he's not trying to start a revolution because this was, I guess you could say, woven into the fabric of the society that they were in so much, it was a part of life, and Paul was not going to break that society and the way it worked. So instead of taking that slave out of the context and and taking all the slaves away, saying, okay, Jesus has changed you, so now that you're changed, get out of this slavery thing, he's saying, you're going to stay in that position, but you're going to be Jesus where you are. Does that make sense? You're not going to take Jesus and you and everything and walk away. You're going to bring Jesus to where you are in every area of your life. So Paul's not condoning slavery, but he's instead providing instruction to the believers in his current context. He's saying, "I'm going to teach you maybe how to act differently, like Jesus, in this context that you're in." Now I'm going to make an assumption that none of us here are slaves. So because of that. What we're going to be talking about, the whole slaves and masters thing is this. So whenever you see slaves, and whenever I talk about slaves, I probably won't refer to that word. That is talking about employees. That's kind of like an employee to an employer or a boss relationship. So I'm the slave and Pastor Terry is my master. That's what I'm talking about. I'm the employee, he's the manager. You guys might work in a, a firm or in a bank and you're the employee and, and there are people above you that lead you, that supervise you, that, that manage you. Uh, they are the masters in this context. So the bigger principle is not slavery, it's the work mentality, the context of working, occupation, jobs, that's what he's talking about. People in authority over you. So that's what we're going to be getting into. But before we unpack verse 5, 6, all this stuff, there's something you need to understand because it's really easy to get tangled up in the whole authority, societal levels, and you go, wow, well this person's above me, so they're more important, and, and I'm just a, a janitor, I'm not that important, I'm just a teacher, this person is a president, this person is a CEO of a company, and you can get really easily tangled into favoritism. Why has why God bless them with that job, and I have this... Small job. Why does God give this person this? And, and I want to kind of combat that thinking with a verse that I found uh, studying this. I think it's pretty uh, relevant to this. And Paul actually wrote it to a different church. And um, it's Galatians 3.28. It should be on the screen. So I'm just reading from up there. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, there's no more, you, you, don't, you don't carry around a title, like this is who you are. Your, your identity is not tied to a title now. He doesn't break down all these walls, but he says you're equal in Jesus. Jesus makes you equal. There's no favoritism with God. So there's not one person that's a male, and the male race is much more liked by God than the female race. Uh, there's not, this person is above that because you're a slave, so you're lesser in the spiritual level. There's none of that in Jesus. We're all equal. We all have sinned in Jesus. We're all saved by Jesus, if we are saved. We all have the same privileges in Jesus. We're all in the same family. It doesn't matter what your status is. We're all on the same playing field in Jesus. So whether you're a CEO or a janitor, there is no spiritual favoritism or partiality. You can't say, God has blessed this person more, this person less, or he doesn't like me because did this. We're equal in Jesus' eyes. We're not talking about spiritual differences, but social levels, levels, sorry, necessary for structure. Get that. It's not about spiritual differences. It's not about you being more spiritual and you getting a better job because you read the Bible more. This is not about spiritual differences. It's about social levels that God set up, ordained, intended, designed just for structure. And we see that everywhere. So with that context that we're all equal in Jesus, let's dive into this text because I think it's some really prevalent and um, powerful things he has to say. So verse five, he's talking about, remember, slaves, masters, employees, and he says this in verse five. Let's read it together. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ or Jesus. He's saying, look, I want you employees to, to obey your employers, your bosses. He makes it very clear. The first thing, the major necessity in a relationship like this is what? Obedience. You, you can't get past that. I mean, if you're in a job, my position, your position, whatever you're in, if you have people above you, you're required in some aspect to obey what they say obedience. That's the first level in this context. He makes it clear. But this is what it means. I thought it would just mean, okay, you just do what everyone says, but it's more, I guess, detailed. The real, the real Greek word obey literally has the meaning of intense listening, like intensified, amplified, passionate listening. So you're really, the first step of obedience is to listen intently to people, to maybe someone who's over you. It's really easy not to listen and just take orders and do things, but listening sets up a whole context of respect and love and a good friendship and a good relationship. So he says, listen first. And after you listen and you intensely listen and pick up what the people in authority over you are saying, simply submit to what is heard. You can listen carefully, follow through what is requested of you. Now here's a caveat, and Pastor Terry always says this. I'm not going to throw out there, obey whatever the people above you say. Some of you guys are going to go, well, what if my boss says to do something immoral, illegal? Well, this is what Pastor Terry always says. If it's not illegal, if it's not immoral, if it's not unethical, if it's not unbiblical, there's no reason why you shouldn't obey. You actually have a responsibility to obey if it doesn't, if it falls in one of those categories, if it's unethical, business move, it's an illegal move, it's something that's unbiblical, that you don't have responsibility to obey. Maybe they think you do, but you're obeying God first, so you can, you have that context. It's not just a blind obedience. So you have guardrails to guide you in how you obey. See, God has embedded the structure of authority in everything. Look at marriage. There's authority. There's levels of leadership. I, the, the man leads the wife and is supposed to love her and respect her and provide for her. In government, God set up leaderships and government in this whole structure in schools we see that we even see structure and the necessity for authority in the church there's elders there's pastors there's people that god puts in position to lead because you have to have authority in order to have direction and productivity and quality and effectiveness you can't have that everyone's on the same level playing field for the social level and everyone's making decisions we've seen that this is, I mean, if we all this, if we were all the pastors in this church, we would get nowhere fast. Because half of you would want pews, half of you would want seats, half of you want couches, half of you don't want to come here. I mean, and this is different areas to speak in truth. There's different areas that maybe you want this and this and that and that, and maybe you want a banjo up there. Weird. What I'm saying? There has to be authority and structure in order to get somewhere. You get what I'm saying? Raise your hand if, you, if, if it makes sense. Good. I just want to make sure it's clear. It's very simple. God put that in order. Someone is given authority to do these things. But this doesn't mean we just mindlessly do what is asked of us like a robot. Okay, cool. My boss said, type up this report. I'm just going to do it. Blah, blah, blah. But this, he said this. This is, there's more than just doing and obeying. It's deeper than just obey. Paul's not saying just do things. Your master says and don't care about them. So in what way do we obey Skip ahead to the last part of verse five. Remember, he said, Obey your earthly masters. Obey your employers, your bosses, as you would Jesus. Paul wants us to understand that our obedience is ultimately to Jesus, not just our bosses. That, that, that's the bottom line for, for if you're Christian, if you've been changed by God, loved by God, your obedience is first and foremost to Jesus, not just your boss. And it doesn't conflict. It doesn't have to conflict, and we're going to talk about that. But he wants you to know you're ultimately obeying Jesus as you would Jesus, not just, hey, I'm in a job. I'm just going to follow what this person says to me. Let's look at Colossians 3.17. Flip your Bible to the right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Girls eat potato chips. Bible college, I learned that, and it stuck with me. Uh, So Colossians 3.17 Colossians 3.17. If you want to know that later, you, five bucks and I'll tell you. So, <laughs> Colossians 3.17. I love this. Paul says this. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, whatever you do, whether you're campaigning for the presidency or flipping burgers at McDonald's, you do it with Jesus, you do it because of Jesus, you do it for Jesus. What you do is not the issue now, it's who you're doing it for, it's how you do it, it's why you do it, it's who you do it with, and that's all Jesus. He's saying, whatever you do there's no okay this is only something i do for jesus on sunday and and my work is separate and my marriage life is separate and my finances is separate no, no no he draws a circle and says everything is for jesus you do it with jesus you do it for jesus you do it because of jesus giving thanks he says i was a, a janitor up in eugene oregon um at this school and uh just for a little bit just some side extra money i was trying to make and uh and I, I did, like, sweeping and and washing uh, the tables and vacuuming and uh, cleaning toilets, and uh, that was fun. I loved it. And so I did that, and, and I swear, I'm telling you this because I just want to illustrate the point that, that I had this conviction almost every day because I worked by myself. I, I put my music on, my sermons, and, and I just clean for a few hours and, and I had this conviction every day that I could have had an option to either to say I cleaned everything because it was pretty clean there's some rooms that I didn't need to vacuum there's some things I didn't need to wipe down there's a hallway I didn't really need to mop they would never have noticed it and I could have left and put my time card or whatever but I had this conviction that I had to, to clean every inch that I was uh, responsible for that I had to do everything that I was asked for because I was doing it and working not for my boss Joe but Jesus and that's conviction, and, and I wanted to skip things. It sounds so small, but, but it's so important because I, I, I had this battle. Like, okay, well, I, can, I had homework to do. I had this to go on, this, this. I, I could have skipped all of that and said, hey, I cleaned it out. It looks great. But there's conviction in me that I was working for someone different than Joe. It was Jesus. I represented Jesus. I tried to work hard for Jesus. And I want you to get this. When, when you come into contact with Jesus, not a religion, Not a a social structure where people raise their hands and it's all kumbaya. No, Jesus, the the living God, when you come in contact with them, everything changes. Jesus changes everything. So now because of Jesus, everyone, every one of you who say, I love Jesus, Jesus loves me, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ. You, if you have a job, should be able to say this. My business is serving Jesus and my occupation just pays my expenses. You should say, my business, my goal, the thing I do, the thing I'm focused on is serving Jesus. And the thing on the side that makes me money, yeah, that's just making me money so that I can serve Jesus. It's not, hey, my job is to type an email to send it to a secretary and this and that. No, no. It's serving Jesus. It's way bigger than that. It's on a bigger scale because Jesus has changed everything. He doesn't just change one thing. He's not something like an app you add on a phone. He's a whole god and he changes everything about people not just one thing so your job now you're not a servant or you are a servant of jesus who just so happens to be a teacher you're a servant of jesus a friend of jesus a lover of jesus a follower of jesus who just so happens to be a janitor who just so happens to be a construction worker who just so happens to fill in the blank First and foremost, and this is important. You guys probably go, oh yeah, I know that. But this is so important because if your mindset and mentality is not like this, then, then the quality of your work will drop. But if you know, wow, I'm working for the God who created the universe, who holds everything together, then your quality will work. Then your conviction of being on time, then the way you carry yourself, then the way you do work will elevate because you know you're working for a pretty important guy named Jesus. But notice this, Paul isn't just focused on obedience, but the motivation and mindset of your obedience. He isn't saying, look, go do this stuff for Jesus. Okay, now, hooray, you know it's a Christian thing, go do it. He's saying, I'm more focused on the mindset and the, and the motivation of why you are obeying. He says in verse five, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Huh, that kind of threw me off a little bit. Like, I'm supposed to fear my boss? I'm supposed to to tremble in the presence of Almighty Terry? Sometimes I do, but that's not what the Bible is saying. He's not saying fear your boss. He's not saying obey out of a fear for your boss. He's saying obey with humility and a careful and reverent respect. You see, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom, wisdom. So fearing God and knowing he can do anything, knowing that he's powerful, knowing that, that he's bigger than you, knowing that he's done everything for you, that he holds you together, that fear, that healthy, wow. Now, I, I'm gonna, I, I crumble in your presence. I, I, I'm amazed that you look at me. That respect you have for a being like God, he says, have that in the people that are in authority over you. Have that for them. Not like you're afraid to approach them, but the fear of, hey, this is a a God-given position of authority. This is, I'm supposed to respect and treat carefully this position. So let me ask you a question. Do Do you lack a sense of care for your authority or boss, or do you have an honest respect for them? Think about it. Do you lack a sense of care? Do you just do things because, hey, they're in authority and I have to, or I'll get fired, or I won't get my paycheck? Or do you have an honest respect? Does your obedience come out of a motivation of, wow, I want to respect them. I respect what I'm doing. I'm respect their position. And then number two, he says, obey with a sincere heart. So this throws it all into craziness because he says, look, I don't want you just to, okay, respect them. Now that you respect them, now that you're going to obey them, I want you to obey with a sincere heart. It literally means obey with an honest and single-minded motive. The Greek word picture is a cloth without any wrinkles or folds. Simple. That means that you are, be as, it says, be as sincere as you are when you obey Jesus. So you guys when you approach Jesus, maybe you're, you're, you're really seeking Jesus' heart and you go after him and you love him and you're humble before him and you have an honest motivation to get to know him more. He's saying, I want you to obey your earthly masters like that, with one motivation, to obey God, to love people, a single track mind, to obey them with a sincere heart, not deceiving them so you're obeying so you can get something else out of them. It's just simply obeying because God says so, Amen simple, with a sincere heart. Now, Paul takes these and kind of unpacks these even more by verse 6. He writes, not by the way of eye service. He's saying, look it, serve, obey your masters, excuse me, obey your masters, but not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers. Oh, I hate that word. I hate it because it's so easy to please people. Well, let me rephrase that. It's not easy to please people. It's easy to think you have to please people. Can I get an amen? This is what eye service really means in the Greek. It means only doing work while the boss is watching you. Okay, just by your laughing, I can tell you've done this before. (laughs) We've all done it before. You're stalking someone on Facebook, and your boss comes in, and you switch to like an Excel document, and you're like, you make a typing noise like you've really been working on. Like, oh, man, boss, this is a hard report. And then you alt-tab to Facebook. I've done it. Just being honest. We're going to cut that out of the sermon, but I've done it, so. We, we kind of slack off and lower the speed when we're by ourselves, but when the boss arrives back in the sixth of the year. We're looking good. We're doing the right things. We're smiling. We're putting deodorant so we're not sweating. We're just doing it all for the boss. Looking good. And it seems like comical and harmless. I was thinking about this. Like it seems so like, okay, what's the big deal? I mean, okay, so you're not really working a lot when the boss looks and this and that. But hey, at least you're getting stuff done. uh, It seems comical and harmless. But I was thinking about this and praying. And I believe it's really the product of something deeper. See, if you work differently while people are watching, it means you have this practice in other areas of your life. You get that? See, if you're going to do this in your workplace and work differently when people are watching you but work differently when they're not watching you, if you're going to do that in your workplace, that means you have this practice. It probably implies you have this practice in some other area of your life, which is dangerous Jesus boldly confronted this hypocritical lifestyle constantly in the Pharisees. The most religious people of Jesus' day were the most hypocritical. Jesus said, look, you put on a good front, you, you quote all the Bible scriptures, you pray out loud, but you don't love God. He says to them or to people following them, do what they teach. They teach awesome. They are awesome teachers, but don't do what they practice what they do. So don't be deceived by pastors or speakers when they say all the right words. That's awesome. If it's right, if it's biblical, do it, but watch their lifestyle because Jesus says they did something different when people weren't looking. Let me ask you a question. If you're willing to do it in your job, what makes you think you won't do it anywhere else? If you're willing to act differently when when eyes are on you in your job, what makes you think you won't act different in, in in the home when no one's watching? See, the danger is working like this in your job, working like this and working differently because people are watching you and trying to impress them and please them. It will trick you into writing it off in other areas of your life. So because you do it in your job and like the boss is watching, you're working hard, but when he's not watching, you're slacking off. Because of that, you'll begin to write it off in other areas in your life. It will carry over to your marriage when your husband and wife is not looking. You act differently and do things behind their back. When, you're, when the people in the church aren't looking, you treat your children differently. When your friends aren't looking, you talk behind their backs. And, and it could easily slip into any area of your life because you just simply go, hey, it's not a big deal. I can write it off. I do it in work. And it's kind of a practice that you start to begin to make into a habit. And If it isn't dealt with, you soon can begin to put an act in front of everyone. So he's saying, don't do this. Obey, but don't do it just for eye pleasure, for people looking at you, for for people smiling and going, wow, you're doing good and and pleasing them. Don't obey out of a motivation to make people happy. Because he says in verse 6, Obey not as people pleasers, but as servants of Jesus, doing the will of God from the heart. It's easy to get into the habit of, of doing things simply to please people and avoid conflict. So easy. I get so trapped into saying yes because I don't want to offend people. Of of doing things because I don't want to step on their toes of of making sure they can smile and be happy. But Paul combats this thinking by reminding us that we are first and foremost serving Jesus. He says in Galatians 1.10, I love this. He's talking to the church. He's talking about how they've turned from the gospel and they've kind of drifted away from Jesus. He's saying some Hard things to them. And then he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? This is up on the screen. If I were still trying to please everyone, men, women, I would not be a servant of Jesus. He says, If I were still trying to please everyone, I couldn't be a servant of Jesus. Not just I wouldn't, it's impossible, he says. The two don't mix. You can't serve everyone and be a servant of Jesus. You can't make everyone happy and do what they want and also serve Jesus. He says, striving to please people is pretty much opposed to serving Jesus. And here's some side notes just from my thinking. If you're pleasing everyone, you probably aren't obeying Jesus. Now, I didn't say if you're loving everyone, you're probably not obeying Jesus. I'm saying if you're trying to please everyone, If you're trying to make everyone on your side and make everyone happy and do what everyone wants, you're probably not going to always obey Jesus. Because if you're following a thousand voices, the chances are 500 of those voices, three of those voices, some of those voices are going to mislead you into drifting away from Jesus. So you can't please Jesus and please man at the same time. And I think some of you really need to hear this, that you don't have responsibility to make everyone happy. As Christians, because it's really easy to go, oh, I'm guilt-tripped now because the pastor said I have to love everyone. Loving people does not make, um, it does not force you into a box saying you have to please everyone. There's a big difference between loving people and pleasing people. Pleasing people, what Paul is saying is, is getting on their good side, making sure they're happy with you, making sure they approve of everything you're doing. And if you do that, you're really a slave. You're shackled to their desires. You don't have a responsibility to make everyone happy. Now get this. If your goal is getting on everyone's good side, you're not going to please God. Always. If you're, it's going to be way harder. If your goal is to please, if my goal was to please all of you, I would not be honestly and sincerely seeking Jesus and pleasing Him and following what He says. But get this. The side note, the reverse side of that is, if your goal is pleasing God, though everyone will not be happy, you can be sure that you will be loving them and honoring them and being kind to them and patient and respectful and humble and you'll be doing the right thing. It's automatic. If you shoot for pleasing God, you're gonna automatically love and serve people. If you shoot shoot for for serving people, you're gonna miss God. If, if, If you, in God's commandments is what? Love people. So if you follow God, you'll be sure And your mind will be focused and your ambition and motivation and direction and goal is, well, I'm going to love people. If I'm trying to love God, I'm going to be automatically trying to love people. They go one and the same. You can't say you love God and you hate people. It doesn't work. It it doesn't work because loving God, God's love is a love for his people, for people. So if you shoot for pleasing God in your job, if you shoot for pleasing God, even though you want to do what your boss says, you're going to automatically, naturally, in turn, serve them and be respectful to them and love them. Are you going to do everything they want you to do because if it's unbiblical? No, you're not. You're going to please God and maybe say, hey, buddy, I can't do this report. I can't cheat on this scam. I can't make this corrupt business deal. I can't do that because I'm pleasing God, so they're not going to be happy, but you will be loving them. You'll be respecting them. You'll be honoring them in the way God expects you to, and that's the best kind. Matthew Henry, he was a Puritan, he said this, A solid affection for Jesus will make men faithful and sincere in every position. You get that? A solid affection, a stable and firm devotion to Jesus will make you faithful and honest in every area of your life. Not perfect, but if you're focusing on on loving Jesus, that love for Jesus will give you what you need to be a good husband. We'll give you the instruction. will give you the power to be a good servant, a good worker, a good friend. If your goal is loving Jesus, his power, his spirit inside of you will empower you and direct you to love and serve people and put others before you. And putting others before you is different than pleasing them. You're putting others, you think of others as better yourself, as Paul says, because you want to serve them and be humble and not prideful. That's not meaning you're, you're trying to please them. You're just saying, look it, you know, what? I'm not going to say I'm better than you. I know more than you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you in any way I can. Jesus says that he came, the son of man, son of God, came to what? Serve, not be served. So if Jesus, the one who created everything, came to, be, to, came to serve, I think we have a call to serve, amen? Serve everyone, anyone and everyone. This is so important that Paul emphasized in verse 7, Obey with good will. That means kindness, joy, enthusiasm. That means you don't just have a dry obedience, a grudging obedience, you just push along. No, no. You obey with kindness and joy. Your attitude is important. You don't just push the right button and that's enough. What attitude do you have while you work? What attitude do you? What attitude do you carry? Do you complain and gripe all the time about people not doing what they, they are supposed to do? Do you complain and gripe about the boss being so hard on you, or do you go, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna just take it in, and still love people. I'm gonna take it in, and maybe challenge and encourage them. I'm gonna take it in and smile and be joyful. Because Jesus, sorry to burst a bubble, but he got killed. But he willingly went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He had joy. It was joy of the Father and of saving us that motivated Jesus to sacrifice his life for us. Joy. And if joy can be the motivation of Jesus going and dying, I think joy can be a motivation for us to work. Amen? So you're like, okay, all right, pastor. What if I've been trying to work with a good attitude? What if I've been having integrous motives and and doing these things for Jesus? Don't give up. Don't stop doing that because you don't see fruit. Because verse 8 says, if you're following along, 6, 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. That means God sees you and God will reward you. Maybe not now, but later, but he's going to reward you. You can be sure and bet your bottom dollar you're going to get a blessing from God. You don't do it just to be blessed by God, but it sure is a comfort to know God's going to reward you for the obedience you have. Man will not always reward you for things you do, but God will. He's faithful. He's gracious. Now to verse 9. Just to wrap this up. Verse 9, he says this. I got a word to the managers and boss now. I've been beating up on these slaves all the time talking about how the employee should work now I'm going to switch my perspective and talk about those who manage people. So maybe some of you guys inside here are managing people. You have people underneath you. You're a boss or, or a supervisor, and, and you are a leader of people. <clears throat> you aren't getting off so easily. <laughs> Paul says this. Do likewise. Masters, do the same to them. So he says, I want the the employees, the slaves, to be respectful, to have joy, to have integrity, to, to obey. And then he says, I want you to do the same to them. That means we have a mutual submission. I think it's Ephesians 5, 21 that says, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means even though... And the Bible says, my wife is supposed to submit to me. I submit to her by serving her and giving her what she needs and what she desires what's best for her and protecting her and leading her. So even though she submits to me, I submit to her by looking out for her best interest. Even though you might think you submit to the leadership of your boss or pastor, we pastors or your leadership submits to you by looking out for you. That's that's, That's the design. So he says, do the same to them. If you lead people, do the same. In your authority, serve your employees. Respect your employees. Love your employees. Give grace to the people who you oversee and lead, just like they're supposed to love and respect you. Why? Because Paul writes, God shows no favorites. You're not off the hook because you're a leader and a master. No, no, no. There's no partiality. Remember, Galatians, we're all equal in Jesus. He says it again in verse 9. There's no partiality with God. You're equal in the eyes of God. It's a lot of information to take in. So let me boil it down to its purest form. All this information, all of this instruction, all of this practicality and this, this information how to respect and serve and this and obey and listen and, and your goals and pleasing people, it all can be boiled down to this. It's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. I can't, I can't find another way to end a sermon besides pointing to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What, and think about this, what does it say about you and God When you confess that you know the creator of the universe, you know his love, you're filled and empowered by his spirit, and yet you work no differently than every other person. What does it say about you who says, hey, I've been changed by God and filled by his spirit, and what does it say about the God you serve when you look no different than any other person in this world? I'm not saying you have to be better than them, richer, smarter, but your actions should be different. Your attitude should be different. I think it should be different. If you really say, I love Jesus and I have the God of the universe, his love and his spirit inside of me, moving me, animating me, energizing me, empowering me to live differently, then why wouldn't you live differently? This context of how you work is for the Christian. Why? Because it's really hard, right? It's really hard to do all these things. But God promises to have and and to fill you with his spirit to empower you to give you grace, to give you room for, for failures and messes, but he empowers you. There should be a difference. There should be a, a way that said, wow, you're working different than that person. You act different. You speak different. You, you, you think different. Why? Because of the God I serve. Titus 2.10 says this. This is Paul again. He wrote about 75% of the New Testament. <clears throat> Paul says this. In Titus two, I'm gonna read chapter or verse nine, it's up there, okay. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. We know that. Okay. Get this. They are to be well pleasing, not argumentative. They're not supposed to seal, steal, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour Jesus. This is what it's saying. This is what Paul is saying. You can work in such a way, you guys, Quickside Church, you can work in such a way that you can make the teachings of God beautiful and attractive. What you do, how you speak, what you do in your workplace, you can work in such a way that you can show off God's beauty and power without even speaking a word, without, without bringing people to church more than being a good employee this is more than than being a good boss it's about unfolding the beauty and grace of Jesus to the people around you and if Jesus has changed you you have responsibility the joy and the privilege and the opportunity to share that with other people and Paul is saying look it's not just about getting perfect employees and employers this is about getting people who love jesus who are loved by jesus and who are thrown into this world and they can show off the life-changing power of jesus in their lives saying there's something different about me i'm not better than you i don't know more than you i struggle with the same things but i've been forgiven i've been loved by god i've been changed my past is gone i have a new future Why? Because of Jesus. Let me show you by the way I work. I'm not just going to preach to you. I'm going to think differently. I'm going to be patient when people aren't patient. Your integrity, your attitude, your submission and work is an opportunity to open people's eyes to the power and love of God. That's what it boils down to. It's not about being integrous for just the mere fact of being integrous. It's about being honest and sincere so that people go, wow, God is changing you. You don't force it. It's natural when God's in you and you're following God. So here's the bottom line. The way you work and live your life is the loudest sermon the people around you will ever hear. The way you work in your workplace, the way you move, the way you do things, the priorities you have, that's the loudest sermon the people around you will ever hear. Look, it's great to bring your friends to church, but it's not the way the early church was designed. Actually, I think Jesus wouldn't like that over something else. Jesus doesn't say invite people to church. He says, you're the church. Go out to people. He went out. He didn't sit in his house and in the temple and go, well, why aren't people showing up for my barbecue? We're roasting pig. It's kosher. He said, I'm going to go to the people in the bar. I'm going to go to the strippers, to the adulterous woman, to the people who are rejected, to the people who smoke, to the people who are addicted. I'm going to them. Why? Because they need it the most. And they're not going to come here. What makes you think you're going to change someone's life? And now I'm saying God does change people's life when when you bring them on this environment. But it's not the church service that changes people's lives. It's the God that's in us that changes people's lives. And they can do that anywhere. He can do that anywhere. He can do that in in Starbucks. He can do that in your cubicle. Live a life that shows that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive. Is your life living proof that Jesus conquered death? Is there a change in you? Because if not, you need to repent of some things. Look back and go, I shouldn't have these things in my life. I need to repent and turn to Jesus because he's gonna save me. He's gonna forgive me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus forgives sinners. God loves this world. May you preach the life-giving and life-changing power of Jesus through every way you work. Amen?